Welcome to season two of I Vet So Hard, the not so serious podcast for seriously busy veterinary teams. Hold on to your sanity, happiness, and success. Learn a few new tricks and embrace efficient processes that actually work in veterinary practice. In each episode, we'll kick the tires on a hot topic and break it down into five key takeaways that you can start using right away. I'm Dr. Stacy Santi. I'm Dr. Caitlin DeWild. I'm Dr. Krista Wallace. And this is I Vet So Hard. Can you believe it? This is the final episode of season two of I Vet So Hard. And we are going out with a big bang because we know most everybody out there has hired a new vet or is trying to hire a new vet. And we want to talk to you about five actionable steps you can do to make sure you retain your new baby vet and that you're taking best care of them. And I've got today with me, Dr. Krista Wallace, Dr. Caitlin DeWild. Hi, ladies. What do you think? Is this something you've encountered is working with a new baby vet? Or you might remember when you yourself were a new baby vet. Yes, I remember that well, because it was only just, you know, six to nine months ago, because I am (laughs) something years old. That's right. (laughs) What What was your first day like at your job, Caitlin? I had a unique experience that I had, I had worked at that clinic before. So it wasn't like a, this is your first day kind of thing. They were like, finally, can you start seeing some appointments? Like I do, I kind of recall that a little bit. I will say in general, I recall that I had been assigned uh, a mentor doctor who was very good and a very talented doctor and, and really a good mentor, but he was so busy that there was not a lot of room for coaching. And even though um, I had worked there a little bit before, I think you guys know this about my backstory that I I actually tracked large animal and had every intention of being a large animal vet, but graduating in 2009, I mean 19, um, there was a recession (laughs) and I could not find a job at the time. So I ended up being a small animal vet, which I, in, in a downtown, like super city situation, which is also like not where I'm from and like all those things. So it was a little bit of a culture shock to me and I did not have as much small animal experience. So the point of the story is he was great, but I was like a baby vet plus a baby small animal, like at the same time. And uh, so he had his work cut out for him, but he was also seeing like 30 pets a day. And I was kind of expected to do the same. <laughs> so yeah. um, <laughs> that's pretty common. Was, yeah. There was another oh. vet there who actually was an equine vet who had just switched to being a small animal vet because she had to move back to help with a family issue. And she really ended up being a mentor to me because we kind of were both into the like, okay, we're figuring out small animal land now, but it was nice that I had a, a, a colleague. And to be truthful, I really was so grateful for that experience because had I gone large animal, I don't think I would have had the same number of team members around me. And I think having more people and more experiences and more perspectives was really foundational to me as a vet. Yeah. Krista, do you remember your first day? Yeah, it was horrible. They dropped (laughs) me in. I did a spay. I saw clients. I knew nothing. I was a deer in headlights. After the first month, I questioned what the hell have I done with my life? Because I remember I did all the emergencies too. And the owner 
took off after a couple of weeks and I had nobody to bounce ideas off of. So I'm like questioning every decision I make because as a student in vet school, you don't have to make those decisions and they don't teach you that. And so it was a very difficult first year for me. Oh gosh. Yeah. You're giving me, you're giving me flashbacks. My first day, I took a job at a 13 doctor practice and I was the, the 12th doctor because they hired another doctor, Dr. Mark Norman. And I both started at the same clinic, the same day as a new grads, we knew nothing. And honestly, I'm not even kidding you. When I tell you, this was my training there over there are the exam rooms. And here is where they put the charts when you have an appointment that's ready to see you. So let us know if you have any questions off you go. was so stressful. I remember I would go home every night and study because I just was afraid I wasn't going to know the answer to the questions or the doses for the drugs. Or my biggest worry was, I don't know, for me, my biggest fear was I would have a seizuring dog come in and I wouldn't react fast enough and it would die. That's what I thought was going to happen to me. Hey guys, it's Krista Wallace from the I Vet So Hard podcast. Did you know that I Vet So Hard is race approved? All you need to do is listen to three episodes and take a quiz at IVetSoHard.com and we will send you your CE certificate. It's that easy. I do remember like looking at the schedule for the next day so that I could read up on anything that I needed to know because I mean I think we all can like safely say this but like at least I don't know maybe our generation but uh I I don't feel like I was really prepared (laughs) like I knew the like book aspect of it but I needed the five minute consult aspect of it for yeah (laughs) I I wonder how much has changed let's just go off the assumption that not much has changed. I kind of don't think it has. And let's talk about five ways that a practice can support their new baby vet and hopefully retain them and build out a great relationship that's lifelong. So the first one we want to introduce to you guys is make sure they have access to mentoring resources, because like both of you experienced, you show up on your first day And the mentoring doctor is book solid, which is really common because that's why they hired you. They can't keep up. So it's unlikely that the premier producer is going to be shutting down their schedule to babysit you all day. Yeah, for sure. And I think, you know, I I ended up working at, at three total practices before kind of the social DVM became a thing. Uh, and now working with a fourth. So those three practices, the whole like even if you know what you're doing, you know, after a few years, I I was a pretty decent vet. I knew what I needed to do, but even just starting into new practice, you need some support, right? And I've gone to both little tiny practices and big practices. Regardless, I have not seen everybody be able to get everything they need from any one practice. So I think stressing that access to outside things, because, and if you're a practice owner listening to this, you may not be able to provide that. Cause like you said, you're just totally booked. So I think let's give some shout outs to some of the outside mentorship 
and uh, CE things that are out there. So, you know, Dr. Dave Nichols' program, um, Leaders is a really excellent one. Dr. Rabwin's program, Revet Go, has a, a whole mentorship program from kind of more of a clinical basis. And then, of course, like, thank God for all the CE that's out there now. <laughs> like, it's not hard to get good CE now, but I think making sure that they know about these resources, they have access to them, even if the clinic pays for them. I think that's really, if you can't provide for one of these programs in your own practice, or if you can't develop one, or you don't have the time to devote to one, that's okay. But pay for one of these other expert (laughs) programs. They're not that expensive when you think about the cost of hiring and retaining an employee. Make sure they have access and it is well worth those investments. What was Dr. Dave Nichols' program called again? Dr. Nichols' program is Leaders. Leaders. And then Dr. Robwin's is Ready, Vet, Go. Yeah, both of them are, are amazing. We just hired a new vet, a baby vet at our practice and signed her up for both of them. And a lot of the local VMAs might have some resources as well. I know like Colorado has the power of 10 and you can get these people into a peer group. But I think the big message here is if you don't see yourself as a mentor, like if you don't A, like it or B, want to do it or C, have the bandwidth to do it, it doesn't mean you don't do it. It means just outsource that so your new vet can have the support they need to thrive. Okay, what else do you guys think is going to be important for retaining our new baby vet? Well, I think having some degree of documentation is really helpful on like how to do things. And I'm not saying like have a written protocol of like, this is how you handle an ear infection, but have a written protocol on this is how you request another lab test, or this is how you upload x-rays to the specialist, or this is how you burn them on CD and send them with the client for a referral. Like there's a million of those little things, which are honestly, like I said, even if you're an experienced vet, if you go to a new practice, it might be a different workflow for that. But I am the kind of person that I didn't want to constantly be asking someone for help. And I also felt like I was becoming a little bit bothersome, right? And most of the people I needed to ask were busy. So having your SOPs and your workflow documented and letting them know where those things are so they can at least try to do them <laughs> on their own, I think is is really important and also frees up everybody's time so that, you know, that you're not getting bombarded with questions, but also they're not feeling like that and they can really focus on their questions being more medical or, you know, important in nature. When I first started at my second job, and I, so I came from the emergency clinic for six years and I took my job at the three doctor, I was the third doctor at this small privately owned AHA practice here in Durango. And, you know, you don't have a lot of clients when you first start. So I was just trying to help. Everyone's running around crazy. So I was going to put the pre-anesthetic blood work in the little HESCA machine and I did it. And then the technician goes to the back and she announces to the team, who's the jackass that ran the blood work for so-and-so. And I'm like, me. And they're like, she goes, oh God, I'm so sorry. <laughs> and I said, what did I do? She goes, you put it, it's a cat, it's a dog. I'm like, but we laugh even to this day. I'm still friends with that technician. But yeah, there was no documentation. And I don't like to ask everybody every little thing. I already know I'm a nuisance. 
I don't want to be a nuisance. I'm trying my hardest to help. All vets are workaholics. I mean, it's just bred into us. So if you have those workflows documented, you're going to be really empowering your new baby vet. I think that you could do video documentation too, just like we saw in COVID where you videotaped examining the pet because the client couldn't be there. Making videos of how things work in the hospital can be of benefit and use time and time again moving forward when you're so busy and the staff doesn't have time to train. Oh, that's such a good idea. And especially if you're working at a multi-doctor practice, if you had an example from the other doctors of here's how I do a wellness, here's how I do a wellness, here's how I do a wellness, you can all see what each other's doing and kind of give a more consistent standard of care too. Great idea. Now, Krista, you shared an idea here that I hadn't actually heard before, and I really, really liked it. And it was under the realm of giving regular feedback. And you ended up having a work buddy concept. Can you talk to us about that? When I first started, the person that saved my life was the technician that I worked with at that hospital. She was a godsend to me. She taught me time management. She taught me how to break my mornings and afternoons up. She taught me how to communicate with clients well. She was such an asset to me, and I have the utmost respect for her and all the technicians that work in the industry because she took the time to mold me into probably the doctor I am today. So having that person that could stand by me through the day when I knew nothing was of huge benefit. I had a very similar experience in that I was taken under the wing of a surgical technician. His name was Ton Tran. And if, if you have ever worked at Southeast Portland Animal Hospital, you know who this person is. He's amazing. And there's something about the dynamic of a new doctor and a seasoned technician that's really perfect for setting up a comfortable, safe forum for that person to get feedback. It's a little different dynamic than when it's doctor to doctor. And I think, you know, Caitlin, you shared too that you were trained by a technician. So maybe there's something here, you guys, like setting up that lead technician to mentor your baby doctor, at least be the work buddy is a really great idea. Yeah, I, I can't tell you how grateful I am for the technicians that I worked with. But yeah, one at that first job, you know, she definitely would would be able to kind of coach me through a little bit, you know, <laughs> she's like, okay, so this is, this is what Dr. So-and-so would do. Is this what you want to do? Would I would like look at her with deer in the headlight kind of looks or like, I can remember even later being in surgery and I, as you guys know, like hate surgery and was never really good at it, but I would be using, I don't know, seven freaking packs of suture <laughs> on, a, on a spay. And she'd be like, Hey man, cost of goods. Like, what are we doing here? <laughs> like, just like making me realize. And I was like, Oh, I never thought about that. Like, yeah, this is now like I'm making no money on this surgery because I've spent it all in suture. So not that that is, you know, obviously a, a, a big thing, but it was really from both a management and a medicine standpoint, uh, I would have been real screwed without her. 
Yeah. Okay. So think about that. Do you have an amazing technician at your practice? Is this something you could set them up as a work buddy? We would definitely advocate rewarding and paying that technician a little something for their troubles because it's going to help that doctor feel like they have just one more ally at the clinic. And, you know, the doctors also, especially the head doctor, you've got to set up regular cadence meetings with your new doctor. So this is probably going to look like a weekly meeting, something around that time frame. You don't want to go too long where you have too much to talk about, but having a regular set meeting with your new vet is imperative. And the format of the conversation is probably going to be about 30 minutes. And it's going to be something like, hey, what went well this week and what didn't go well this week? And give them a place to talk through what they're struggling with. This isn't really so much a time for you to criticize them or maybe tell them, hey, don't do it this way next time. Do it that way. You might save that for like an on the floor sidebar conversation, or maybe work with the technician work buddy to sort of weave that into the training. But I think you want to set up a very positive, safe space where that doctor can come to you as the head doctor and get that mentoring as well. Yeah. Just knowing as a new baby vet that somebody else doesn't have a clue is very reassuring. Yeah. And they might want to talk to you about a certain client that's given them grief and you know that client and they're difficult and you're going to help mentor them on how to connect with that client better, stuff like that. Okay. So one thing I really struggled with when I was a baby vet was like a dead schedule because everybody loved all the other vets there and they did not want to see me. And the receptionist would book all the appointments with the regular old vets because they didn't have any confidence in me yet. So let's talk about how we can help back our new baby vet and help them grow their clientele list. Well, I can certainly speak to it from the marketing standpoint, because I do think that's a really big component. You know, people like to do business with people they know, like, and trust. And if they've never met them before, the first time in the exam room with their nervous or sick pet is maybe not going to get them over those fears. So I think, you know, the more that we can talk about our new doctors to our clientele, so getting them on social media, make sure they're on their website. So it's not like they're you know, somebody goes to look them up and they're not even on the website, you know, that's not going to instill a lot of confidence or credibility there. Um, Sending out a new email when that doctor feels comfortable and is ready for seeing more of a full load of appointments um, and letting them know that. I think also not just doing a boring blurb, like they graduated from blah, 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 and love state of the art, compassionate care, like not helpful. Like give them information, obviously that the vet is comfortable sharing, but like that humanizes them and lets them make those connections with various people. So I think that's really huge. And I think, you know, one of the things that really helped when I started at one of the practices is the vet that had been there for a really long time, he would often just poke his head in when I was walking into the room and say, Hey, Dr. Dwight's going to take care of you today. She's amazing. I think you'll have no problem. So I'm um, good to see you. I'm going to leave you in her capable hands kind of thing. So that was a really nice gesture and a way to get a lot of those kind of clients who had been seeing somebody for 15, 20 years <laughs> uh, over to my side. So I think the more that we can do that, the better. 
yeah, the first job I worked at, there was zero of that. The second job I worked at, that's what Dr. Parkinson did. And man, it made a difference. He acted like I was a rock star visiting the practice. And it, it kind of helped me have some confidence, to be honest. But the client really felt like, oh, we were in an approved situation here and everything would be okay. And it really helped. I can't recommend that enough. I think having the staff also have the new baby vets back is important. You know, support them. There is a learning curve when they come on in many different ways, not just learning how to practice medicine, but also learning the day-to-day job. And at Monticello, we have a no gossip policy. We really try to provide a culture where it's supportive and instructive, and we work through our issues as a team. So making sure that you're not making comments about the new vet, maybe they're not doing it the way you're used to, or they made a mistake. That's very important not to say those things. But also maybe having, you know, a phone script for the front office to really express their excitement for the new vet. You know, Dr. Wallace just hired so-and-so and we love her. We're so excited for her to be here and share her knowledge. She is super, super smart and we think you're going to love her. And we always make it a point to say, you know, if you can't see Dr. Wallace, we really want you to see Dr. So-and-so because she's she's got this on lockdown and she loves cats and she knows a lot about cats. And often I will tell clients, well, they know way more than me. Um, <laughs> they are way better than me. So it is important to be inclusive for that new new vet. And if we have any baby vets listening out here today, one thing you can do is go spend some time at the front desk. They are the gateway to your schedule. Bake them brownies, hang out, answer questions for them because they also have a lot of questions that they are trying to get answers to from the vets that are busy and in rooms. And so if you just walk up there and say, do you guys have any questions or anything you need help with? Oh yeah, I had a caller and they had a question about X, Y, and Z. And you start building that relationship, they're going to get confidence in you like a lot faster. So Just a little pro tip for our new grads out there if you're trying to build your schedule. Are you a practice owner or manager looking for innovative ways to help support your new grad associates? Are you looking for a new associate and need a unique perk to help you stand out from the crowd? I'm Dr. Danny Rabwin, the founder of ReadyVetGo, a powerful remote mentorship program. By enrolling your new grad associates in our program, you will ensure they become more confident and productive, bonding them to your practice and decreasing turnover. Our mentorship cohorts launch quarterly and enrollment is ongoing. Visit readyvetgo.co for more details. Okay, our last tip is really just be super nice and include them. You know what sucks is to show up to work like I did on my first day in Portland and it didn't even seem like they knew I was coming. Like there were no fireworks. There was no like welcome committee. I don't know. I was so, so very excited. I can't even tell you how excited I was. And I would have appreciated if it looked like they knew I was coming. <laughs> I hear you. I didn't even have a desk. Yeah. yeah having your own space, I think is really important. And yeah, same thing. I've had multiple clinics and even the first one, it was just like, the other doctor 
did something, but the clinic didn't, you know, <laughs> and it was like, welcome. And it was like, you know, just this little candy thing and, you know, and, and a flower or whatever. But I mean, it was so nice compared to like getting literally nothing. So not that like we need stuff, but I certainly didn't feel like appreciated. So for our new vet, I made a priority that, you know, she had scrubs with her name on them the first day. She had a teacher. She had, uh, I gave her a couple of the Vets Against Insanity games. We had like a welcome sign for her, you know, and she had her own business cards. Can you remember how exciting it was to have business cards, guys? Like that was such a huge deal. Like to have your own with your name on them. Like that was the shit. Yeah. And if you have different labels around the hospital or, or this was one, you're not even in Avamark yet. Like, come on, get them in the computer before they show up. Yeah. Yeah. I almost felt like at one of them, they were like, let's make sure she doesn't suck before we like, you know, print out this 30 cent label to put on stuff. (laughs) Yeah. Make sure they're included and, you know, realize that they're working really hard. They're probably a little bored. It's normal to be bored the first few weeks of a job because you aren't really gelled in. So, you know, take them out for lunch. Take, ask them if they like to go have dinner with you one night that week. It's your job as the person that hired them to make sure that they feel super welcome. Absolutely. Just to feel welcome relieves some of the pressure. Any other words of advice, guys, before we say our final farewell to season two here? I think just at least from this episode standpoint, I just don't think that we can give them enough support. I think this is such a hard profession and they've worked really hard and now they're they're finally out there. And I feel like now it's just a new education, right, is starting. And so I think whatever we can do to help them along is going to be uh, appreciated. And I, I don't know, I sort of enjoyed it. I, I sort of felt like it's helped me feel good about some of the work that we're doing too. So I think that's the, the key there. But as far as the season goes, thank you for listening. We're glad that you're here. Yes. Yeah. Thanks so much, you guys, for hanging out with us for this season two of I Vet So Hard. Now, we're going to take a break for a few months and we'll see you soon with season three. Thanks for joining us for today's episode of I Vet So Hard. Don't forget to head over to IVetSoHard.com to sign up for bonus content with more tips on how to kick ass.